Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back into Vern's Royals Bonanza. Lined into right center field for a hit. Merrifield's going to try to score. A good throw home could get him. Then the throw is not in time. Here's your Royals insider, Josh Vernier. Let's go. Thanks for listening. We still got 15 weeks. That sounds like a very... Long ways away, and it is. Still 15 weeks away from the first spring training game. But action is underway. The GM meeting's underway in California. We'll talk with Dayton Moore coming up. Whit Merrifield as well, but as promised, our guest is Royals chairman and CEO John Sherman, who I know has been asked a variation of this question before, but... I'm pretty sure Fesco asked something similar on opening day. So I apologize for being repetitive, but it's meant as respect because it's a dream that I think we all have uh, as little boys, little girls. Um, So two seasons in, how how would you describe it? How, How does it feel to compete in all phases to compete with Kansas City Royals? stitched across your jacket it's great i can't it's hard it's hard to describe how how it feels josh um getting to you know i got some i enjoyed every minute uh that i was in cleveland but uh getting to do this in your hometown is is pretty remarkable got a lot of memories of being out there from the you know kind of the mid 70s uh, to today and so getting to do it uh, from that vantage point has just been tremendous and you know, it's also the game kind of grows and evolves. And, you know, one of the great things about participating in it at this level for me is just uh, really how competitive it is. I mean, when you said to, to compete, it is a uh, multifaceted business. When you think about the science and, you know, the, how elite these athletes are and what great athletes they are and getting to uh, play a small part and trying to help them get better um, you know, it's it's really a privilege privilege for me, and doing it in Kansas City particularly. And one of the roles, I would imagine, for someone in your seat in that competition is to try and secure as much talent within your organization as possible. And I think that was reflected in the promotions that you've made throughout the organization over the past calendar year. What gives you the most confidence in that group with Dayton, JJ, and the rest moving forward? Well, first of all, 
I've gotten to know them pretty well, and I've, I've you know, and just the type of people they are and the commitment they have, you know. But beyond that, I think you look at their track record. Um, this team has proven that they know how to win a championship and uh, win it as a small market team. Um, and I, and I'm, you know, I'm extremely excited about when I think about the. Um, the recent development, not not just of we all, we're all talking about our pitching, and we certainly uh, uh, we got work to do there. But there's there's lots of depth, and and I think we showed some real progress this year. But when I look at the uh, the development of uh, pitching, but also our position players, and particularly offensively in our system, it's it's pretty exciting. I mean, as you as you know, Baseball America uh, again, Dayton, he doesn't. He didn't worry too much about what other people think about us, but um, you know they've got our farm system ranked number three. And when I think about the impact that JJ certainly under Dayton's leadership, but JJ's um, you know on the player development side and and how he has really you know he came from a traditional baseball background just like most of our guys there, but how he has really modernized the player development systems and. And brought in brought in new people and technology and and so I'm just I couldn't be more excited about you know I think in baseball we all uh, would have liked to win a few more games in 2021 but I'm always looking down the road and and uh, over the horizon and as long as as long as we feel that our you know our people and our processes are are good uh, and and, we, and we're making progress. I'm going to feel really good about the future, and 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 that's how I feel right now. A lot of confidence uh, in our people, and just as importantly, you know how they've gone to work in our processes and helping our our team develop. Does that confidence that you have in the people in place within this organization does that allow you to have patience? Would you describe yourself as a uh, patient man in the role that you're in with Kansas City? You know, it's a good question because I, I, uh, I think, I think you have to have a sense of urgency, but you also have to. That has to be kind of blended with patience. You know, I think in, in, I've always thought, um, you know, you should have a sense of urgency and a bias for action, but and you should be decisive, decisive but thoughtful. And uh, I think as long as we're making progress, and and the progress is. You know, at the right pace, I think I think we should. Uh, I think we're better off, particularly with our people and processes. You know, s- s- let let's see how this thing runs over the next few years. But to answer your question, my, I I, th- I think I'm uh, somewhere in the middle. But you know, patient person. But uh, but I also think we should have a sense of urgency, and that's something that I feel in this group, Josh. I mean, we um, maybe Dayton told you, but we finished up the. You know, we lost, we played that Sunday against Detroit, and I can't remember if it was that night or the next morning. But all those guys headed to Arizona. They evaluated our minor league system. Uh, I know they went on a uh, they made a trip to Miami. Dayton did a scout, an international scouting trip through uh, the Dominican, I think, with Renee. And so, you know, these and this is you know, I'm, I'm not sure the World Series has started yet by the time they got back. So I appreciate the. Uh, you know the sense of urgency that that these guys have about preparing our team to compete for a championship. Royals chairman and CEO John Sherman, kind enough to join us on Six Ten Sports Radio. 
uh, transition to the new ballpark. The early stages of the exploration has it uncovered more possibility than pushback thus far. You know, it's, I would say that's a mixed bag, and I, you know, one of the things that uh, I would say it's it's really this is about much more than just a ballpark, and it's really about much more than baseball. This is about this is a community uh, impact effort that's going to have to do a lot of things for Kansas City in terms of economic impact and economic growth and quality of life that goes goes beyond baseball so at the end of the day it's it's uh if it's good for kansas city you know it'll be good for for the royals as a byproduct for that and and you know our we put out some criteria the community's got to want it it's got to meet that criteria and then i think all of us have to make sure that the investment our relative investment in this is appropriate uh, you know for the stakeholders involved but uh, i would say a kind of a mixed you know there's a some of it's by age, some of it's by ge- geography. You know, the one, the one thing I think we all know here in Kansas City, the you know Kauffman Stadium is a great place to play baseball. My, you know, uh, we all have nostalgia for a lot of us do from being out there. I certainly do. Uh, but if you look around the country and you see the potential for greater economic impact in, a re, in, in, in cities fortunate enough to have Major League Baseball teams. It, you know, if you can put them in you know, more dense areas, you can stimulate a lot of, ac- of economic activity. And in our case, uh, we want to make sure that it, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it reaches uh, all, all aspects of our community. You, you painted the picture right there, and I, I think you did the same in uh, Sam Mellinger's recent piece. But if you could expand, what, what does the dream look like? Well, you know, it's, it's um, the, the community impact has to be meaningful. The economic impact and growth has to be uh, meaningful. And I think we've said clearly that it needs to be something that also positively impacts the underrepresented parts of our community. And we mean that in a way that's, uh, we're not talking about, we're talking about in, in real and measurable ways. But, you know, I can, uh, did you, I don't, if you watch the World Series um, in Atlanta, mm-hmm. now that's a little bit of a different um, situation. It, it's, it, uh, but if you look at the battery and the, you know, the hotel and the corporate uh, or the regional headquarters that you could see in the background, mm-hmm. if you watch the World Series and the crowds outside the stadium that gathered, uh, some that went into the ballpark and some that didn't, uh, that has become a real center, a hub of activity for Atlanta. And so, and then you look at places, you know, look, you look at Wrigley with the new work they've done. You look in Washington, you look in San Diego. And so when I say it's much more, you know, baseball certainly can be the the center of a great celebration if a team is successful, but it also becomes a hub of activity and vibrancy for a community that's uh, that's on, you know, 365 days a year. And so, and that will impact uh, Kansas City in ways, you know, way beyond baseball and for decades to come. No question. It's uh, it's certainly exciting. Uh, the, the the final question I have is, it, from my vantage point, the opposite of exciting, but i got to get your thoughts. Uh, how would you describe your confidence that spring training in baseball will be all hunky-dory at the start of 2022? 
Well, I, uh, I'm an optimist by nature, but I will, uh, you know, I think we've got really smart people working on that. Uh, and you're referring to the CBA. Of course, yes. Yep, yeah. Yep. Um, I think we've got really smart people working on that. I think there's smart people on both sides. I, uh, I am optimistic that we'll get a deal done. Uh, I, won't, I won't give you a date, but uh, I would be surprised if we're not in spring training excited about our 2022 season. Well, I'll see you there, Mr. Sherman. I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you very much. Okay. Royals chairman and CEO John Sherman really don't even want to entertain the thought of an elongated lockout. Sure, uh, lockout in December and January, and we can all complain, but don't you dare uh, mess with that season. I just been through it once, right? And and I think. All of you listening that are around my age, right, right around that 40 years of age, um, I, I just, I, I don't think in today's entertainment landscape that Major League Baseball could withstand another work stoppage. Too many entertainment options out there. Baseball would easily, uh, for the average American, drift into the background. Whit Merrifield's coming up at 8 o'clock, so about 45 minutes before we hear from the Royals' second baseman. I'm interested in in, in his thoughts on what I thought was the biggest travesty of that gold glove ceremony on Sunday. I I understand we, we talked earlier with Nicky Lopez about him not even being a finalist. That surprised me. That, that, that shocked me. That shocked me. Uh, Whit Merrifield not winning at second base, that to me was the biggest mistake made by Rawlings. Uh, more so than even you know, Salvi not winning, more so than Nicky Lopez not being nominated. I, I really thought Whit Merrifield deserved uh, that piece of hardware. But the two guys that did win as the Royals make it 11 straight years of having one gold glove recipient they had two this year, Andrew Benatendi and Michael A. Taylor. I had a chance to talk with both, so we'll find out how Andrew Benatendi feels about going into the final year of team control. And you'll find out right after this. You're listening to Vern's Royals Bonanza. Right center field, and that ball is gone! On your home for Royals baseball. Salvador Perez, a grand slam for a second straight game. 610 Sports Radio. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. 
Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Here's the pitch, a swing, and a high fly ball. Welcome back into Vern's Royals Bonanza. Center field, left center. Michael Taylor with the catch. Here's the throw to the plate. It's a good one, and they got him. Michael Taylor with two terrific throws. Here's your Royals insider, Josh Bernier. And we'll hear from the Gold Glove Award winner, Michael A. Taylor, momentarily. Royals broadcaster, Ryan LeFever, coming up in 20 minutes as well. All right, so obviously the offseason is here. Everyone has their knife and fork out, ready to gobble up a big-name free agent. Ready to improve the Royals. I get it. I, I understand. I love spending John Sherman's money, just like I loved spending the glass family's money. Um, but honestly, I, I don't see the off-season free agent signing that moves the needle here in Kansas City. I don't, I don't see the Royals making that big-time splash because personally, I would not be willing right now to wave goodbye to someone making real money. It's easy to say, well, Mike Miner, see you later. Uh, Carlos Santana, adios. That's just not how things work in a market like Kansas City. Or waving goodbye to someone that has upside and remains under team control. Adalberto Mondesi, Hunter Dozier. Uh, even looking down at those prospects, MJ Melendez and Nick Prado. I don't think it's a wise move to to trade, to move, to wave goodbye to any of those names just mentioned. I understand how many of you feel about Mondesi, how you feel about Dozier. Looking at them, maybe you can go out and bring in this generation or this decade's James Shields. You part with your current Will Myers and you bring in James Shields. I that was brought up earlier today when I was on with Fesco in the morning. And I understand that desire from Royals fans. And it's something that I'm going to ask Dayton more about. Because when you look at that 2013 acquisition of James Shields, that team earned that. In 2012, I thought Haas, Kane, Moose, Eski, Butler, Gordo, and the rest. Uh, they had done enough to show this front office that Give us some pitching that gives us a chance to win because the hearts and the tenacity and the drive was there in the lineup. But they didn't have the type of pitching that buoys your spirits as you're driving to the ballpark where you show up to work believing you have a chance to win. Bringing in James Shields immediately injected that clubhouse with a different sort of belief. When you were watching the 2021 Royals, did you were, did you see a team that just needed an injection of belief? I didn't. 2015, bringing in Morales and Volquez. That's right on the heels of a pennant. And then the, the deadline, Cueto and Zobrist. We knew that team was going to the playoffs. They earned Dayton Moore's aggressiveness and the Glass family's aggressiveness, even in 2017, bringing in uh, Bookter and Maurer and Melky Cabrera, that team in their final season together, Kane, Eski, Moose, and Hosmer, they earned the aggressiveness from that front office. So in 2021, 
Did that team show you that they are a James Shields, a confident winner away? Or, as I view them, the improvement's got to come from within. Now, we heard from J.J. Picola earlier. He seemed to zero in on the relief pitching market. And there are some names out there, big names too. Kenley Jansen, uh, Corey Knable, Mark Melanson, Andrew Chafin, Ryan Tapera, Danny Duffy, your boy, Zach Granke could come out of the bullpen. So there are names out there. There are flashy names out there. Uh, But outside of that relief pitching market, I don't see where the Royals make a splash because, uh, let's be honest, how many open spots are on this 26-man roster? Which brings me back to, are you willing to wave goodbye to someone making real money? I don't believe the Royals are going to cut someone or just jettison Santana or Minor. You're not going to get rid of Dozier, Mondesi, someone that's under team control. So, man, you, you look around this team right now, and... Of your 13 position player roster spots, 10 of them are already locked up. Two catchers, Merrifield and Nicky and Santana and Bobby Witt Jr., Mondesi, Dozier, Ben Attendee, Michael A. Taylor. Three spots up for grabs, and we all want to see MJ Melendez and Nick Prado. Kyle Isbell is an option, too. So I guess if you're going to zero in on an aspect of this team outside of that relief pitching market, maybe maybe the outfield, maybe that outfield market. Uh, The big names are Nick Castellanos and Michael Conforto, Chris Bryant and Starling Marte. Lesser than names, a guy like Brad Miller, a lefty bat. Uh, He could be replaced late as a defensive replacement. Michael A. Taylor, that's just a name. Just looking at the available free agent outfielders. Again, I don't see someone that is um, priced for Kansas City that could also make a splash in the minds of Kansas City baseball fans. But that's how I see it right now. Now, Michael A. Taylor doesn't necessarily have that center field position locked up for 150 starts next season, but I don't think you bring him back on a two-year deal saying you're automatically our defensive replacement. You're automatically the fourth outfielder. No, someone's going to have to come and take that spot from him. Take that spot from him by not only out hitting him, but playing solid enough defense that the regression that you make defensively is offset by the improvement that you make offensively with Michael A. Taylor off the field. Speaking of Taylor, yeah, 135 starts in center field at Kauffman Stadium and winning a gold glove. There's only one other player in franchise history that's done that, and it happened nearly 50 years ago. 1974, Royals Hall of Famer Amos Otis. It's only A.O. and Michael A. Taylor, 135 starts at center field in Royals blue and taking home a gold glove. Some pretty impressive stuff from the Royals first time. Gold glove award winner Michael A. Taylor. It's definitely an honor. I mean, uh, There's so many great defenders out there and to be recognized as one of the best uh, this year is, um, like I said, an honor and, uh, you know, just a great feeling. I worked really hard on my defense and paid off a little bit this year. Right along those same lines, I'm just wondering how much uh, the legs were barking at the end of the season, because it's been almost 50 years since someone logged that many innings and walked away with a gold glove at Kauffman Stadium. Honestly, I, I felt surprisingly good. 
And I think that's a testament to um, Stoneberg and the medical staff and the training staff, you know, and the strength staff. They, they have a great program and a bunch of great guys over there that were able to keep me on the field and keep, you know, all of us healthy for the most part during the year. I was a bit surprised. I thought I would be kind of dragging a little more. You, you definitely have those days in between, but with the treatment and things like that, I felt like I was able to, you know, stay in a, in a good spot. So does the off-season uh, routine, is there an adjustment now having a full season of Kaufman under your belt, knowing what it's going to take to do it again? Yeah, the adjustment for me was um, last year, I kind of did my own program. And this year I'm, I'm a hundred percent in on uh, Ryan Stoneberg. He's sending me a, a workout and, uh, you know, I'm just going to follow anything he says. Like the in-season program is unbelievable. So I'm all in. Yeah. And I think that's, organizational uh, culture buy-in. That's one of the reasons why I think the other Gold Glove Award winner, Andrew Benatendi, why why there is no real rush, at least the way I see it, no real rush in coming to an agreement on a long-term extension with Andrew Benatendi. More on that in a moment, but but how about this guy? Uh, Comes over in a trade, and I think we were all excited about the offense and the base running that he was going to bring. Uh, But he also brought along a pretty good glove, a gold glove out there in left field. And uh, look, big shoes to fill out there taking over for Alex Gordon and Andrew Benatendi. Yeah. I mean, um, it's nice to, you know, try to fill, fill his shoes in some kind of way. Um, Obviously a long way to go, but um, you know, to keep it there, uh, left field at Kaufman, um, there is pride, I think. And especially with, you know, how much we focus on defense throughout the year and through spring training. Um, just, you know, it's a big field. So, you know, you, you, you know defense is a priority there. So, uh, you know, to share it with Alex Gordon, you know, a guy who's been there doing it for such a long time means a lot. Benny, two things. First, what was your favorite play of the season? Does one stand out? Uh, not off the top of my head. Honestly, some of my favorite times in the outfield was when, you know, I'd go, there's like a ball hit in the left center field gap and, you know, I'd, me and Mike would go get it and he'd pick it up and I get to watch his throw from the outfield, whether it be a dart to third or second base. I mean, that thing explodes out of his hand. So honestly, that, those are what stick out the most to me. And then how comfortable are you going into the final year of a contract or team control? Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I feel good. Um, you know, a lot of it's out of my hands uh, and I know I'm still under team control for another year. So um, not much I can do. I mean, all I can, like I, I've said before, I mean, I control what I can control. Um, and just prepare, like, you know, whatever happens, happens. So has had a great time this year. You know, I already missed the guys getting after it with them. And no, actually, I'll probably see him, some of them here soon. So uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, it seems like coaching staff, teammates-wise, Kansas City, pretty good fit in year one for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the culture, you know, the grind, you know, the, the work everybody puts in, you know, the same goal. So, yeah, everybody has one goal in mind, and everybody's behind that. And I think – obviously it was my first year but the chemistry seems to be off the charts so uh happy to be a part of it this year now i'm not going to sit here and act as if i had deep conversations over the course of the summer with andrew benatendi he's not one that is going to search out the camera nor the microphone um and also the pandemic often got in the way of elongated conversations but 
But my point is this, and you heard it kind of there at the end. I think Kansas City is the perfect market for Andrew Benatendi. He knows what it's like to be in the pressure cooker. And playing in Boston, winning in Boston the way that he did. Maybe the lights are a little bit brighter in the Big Apple, but not much brighter. Boston's about as big as it gets. So if he goes out and performs this season, I don't think that Andrew Benatendi approaches free agency and gives his services to the highest bidder. I think he's looking for comfort. He's looking for culture. He's looking for relationships. I know he has a great relationship with his coaching staff, with this clubhouse, with this front office. I have a difficult time believing that the Royals would rue the day that they allowed Andrew Benatendi to play out the final year of team control. And I, I don't think that Andrew Benatendi would be uh, ripping the Royals up. The Royals, as you look at Gordo, you look at Hosmer, you look at um, you know Danny Duffy, Salvador Perez, Jordano Ventura, they make fair offers. Uh, Kendrys Morales, Edinson Volquez, it's not very often you see the Royals attempting to rip someone off. And when they do find themselves in a position where they, uh, you're, you're not getting what you're uh, due. You saw it with Salvador Perez. Uh, they ultimately do what's right. So I, I just don't know who it benefits a long-term extension with Andrew Benatendi right now. Not sure it, it could give him some extra security, but is. He unwilling to bet on himself? I don't, I don't believe that. Are the Royals going to save X amount of dollars if they're able to get this extension done right now? Are you that sold on Andrew Benatendi? I just, I don't see the harm in letting it play out. If he is the guy that we saw a few seasons ago in Boston, if he's able to play 140 some odd games again next season, make him a fair offer. See if this is the perfect fit. We'll talk about that. I also want to get Ryan Lefevre's thoughts on what we heard from John Sherman regarding the uh, possibilities of a downtown ballpark. We talk with the great Ryan Lefevre, Royals broadcaster, after this. You're listening to Burns Royals Bonanza. Cranks one to deep center. That goes Miles Straw. Away back and gone. Perez. On your home for Royals baseball, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back into Vern's Royals Bonanza. Lined into right center field for a hit. Merrifield's going to try to score. A good throw home could get him. Then the throw is not in time. Here's your Royals insider, Josh Vernier. Uh, still ahead with Merrifield and Royals president, Dayton Moore. Uh, but first, to continue our off-season preview, it's Royals broadcaster, the great Ryan Lefevre, as promised. And actually, I'd like to start, Ryan, with the conversation we just heard with John Sherman, right? Because not not many people have traveled the downtown ballparks more than you over the course of your career. You've seen these cities, these ballparks, these projects. I'm curious what's been your takeaway over two-plus decades uh, traversing this baseball country. I think the... The biggest thing I've noticed, Vern, is not just how nice the stadium is compared to what they had before or how much attendance has spiked just because of interest. You know, people want to see the new ballpark and there's the excitement of 
having season tickets or just being there when they open a new ballpark. But it's just the energy around the ballpark. That's the thing that I've noticed the most. And gosh, you could go up and down the league of, of all the places where I've seen, you know, big turnarounds as a kid. I went to Baltimore with my dad, and that inner harbor area was a ghost town. You'd never know that now if you go to Baltimore, and Camden Yards being what it is, and the Orioles aren't very good now, but for forever after that ballpark opened, it wasn't just at Camden Yards. It was the restaurants and the bars and just all the activity around it. Coors Field, I was there when Coors Field in the early years for interleague play. I was in Cleveland when I was in school, again, following my dad, and then in the heyday of the Indians in the mid to late 90s. I broadcasted in Minnesota, and there was some energy around the Metrodome because it was on one end of downtown, but then Target Field on the other end, same thing. I mean, it's, it's the walk to the ballpark, and then I don't see what's going on during the game, but then the walk back after the ballpark. So different from Kauffman Stadium, which is great because of all the parking and the two interstates, and comparatively speaking, it's easy to get in and out of, but it's also very isolated out there, and there's really not an opportunity for um, a lot of ancillary income for the city and the county when you're you're isolated like that. So, um, And there are more examples that I'm just not thinking of right now, but that's probably the biggest thing that I notice, not necessarily what happens during the nine innings, but uh, what's going on before and after around the stadium. So is there a unique excitement that you feel when you, when you, when you hear the press conference that John Sherman had a, a few months ago and you, and you think about uh, where this organization could be in a decade from now? Well, it just makes financial sense. I mean, I, I, it's going to be hard for all of us, including me, to take our hearts out of it and just think what's best for the Royals and what's best for Kansas City, what's best for Jackson County. And um, I think there is more opportunity for tourism, depending on what they want to do with a roof. You know, do they want to have a retractable roof so that if you know somebody in Wichita wants to come up for a Royals game, and they look at the forecast, and it's either going to be really cold, really hot, or it's going to rain, they might say, well, let's pass. I don't want to make the drive all the way up there, and, and uh, you know we're going to be miserable at the ballpark. Well, if there's the option of rolling a roof on there, then you know no matter what's going on outside, you're still going to see baseball inside. Uh, there's, you know, there's more opportunity for those types of trips for people to come in and stay in the hotels and eat at the restaurants and and even for people in the metro to just make, you know, a day and an evening of it and come down and have dinner somewhere outside the ballpark, watch the ballpark. And uh, traffic, obviously, is going to be a lot different than it was at the Truman Sports Complex. But, you know, some people will say, all right, well, let's go, let's go get a drink and hang out and wait for the, for the traffic to, you know, to die down. And, and then hopefully somebody is uh, capable of driving the gang home after that. Um, so there's just, it's just a lot of things that, I think as Kansas Citians, we're not used to, you know, Sprint Center, T-Mobile Center never was able to attract an NHL or an NBA team. So we really haven't had that downtown professional sporting experience yet. But I go back to your first question of just the, the energy and everything that comes with a ballpark that is either in downtown or adjacent to downtown is, is pretty exciting. Yeah. Ryan Lefevre, Royals broadcaster, joining us here on 610 Sports Radio uh, on the field. 
when Royals fans want your thoughts on 2021, looking ahead to 2022, do you start with the young arms or do you begin with the offense? Well, I start with the young arms just because there are so many of them and they've all proven that they're capable at the major league level um, and just lacking consistency, which is the case for, you know, for every young player when they get to the big leagues, how quickly does consistency come? But, but pitching is, and I think always will be the name of the game. We will see more teams now than we did 20 or 30 years ago, try and slug their way into the playoffs. But once you get into the playoffs, as we learned in 14 and 15, it's, you know, it's the team that, that pitches better because you can spend six months wailing away on third, fourth, and fifth starters and middle relievers, but when you get into October, you're seeing one and two starters and the best relievers, and they're all rested because of all the days off you know, in, in between the different legs of travel from one city to another. So I, I still think pitching is the name of the game and um, the fact that there are – and starting pitching as well. I mean, we've seen a shift, obviously, from starting pitching – to the bullpen, and the Royals had a lot to do with that. But, um, you know, Denny Matthews taught me this way back when we started working with each other, and he would always say that if you have good starting pitching, it just takes the pressure off of everybody else. It takes the pressure off of the bullpen where they might only have to throw two or three innings so you keep everybody rested per game. And if they're pitching well, your offense in today's game has a better chance of scoring – you know, four or five runs, then they have to go out and score seven or eight runs if your starting pitching isn't very good. So, and Dayton, even though the game has changed, you've noticed, just like I have, he's he hasn't wavered at all in the importance of not only good starting pitching, but he hasn't fallen into, well, if we can just get four or five innings out of our starters and then begin this tandem of relievers. I mean, he has always maintained that starting pitching deep into the game, as the game has changed, is the most important commodity to have. And right now it looks pretty good. Going into this last season, uh, the the talk with the young pitching was all about those 2018 draft picks. And uh, since the season, we've been able to throw Carlos Hernandez and Angel Zerpa into the mix as well. Who proved what to you? Wow. Well, Carlos Hernandez certainly put himself on the radar in a very short period of time. And I think he has the potential to be a number one. And when I say number one, I'm not talking about the quality of his pitches and his sheer numbers, but there's a, there's a demeanor factor that goes in there. It's the, what people like to say, the it factor. And he just has that presence out there. And I, I liked how he got so good at one point that, you know, a bad start for him was, you know, five and a third innings and giving up three or four earned runs. I mean, he never, and I, I'm sure I'm forgetting an outing here or there, and I'm just going on the big picture thinking back to 2021, but he didn't have any meltdowns where you think, oh, okay, well, that was a nice run, but now the league has figured him out. Brady Singer's numbers overall I don't think were as impressive as they were in 2020, but I saw a guy who just, continued to battle and wanted to be out there and um, he has to figure out how to come up with more than just two pitches to be an effective major leaguer but I mean the kid competes and Royals fans remember 
back in the early 2000s that we had our share of pitching prospects come up from the minor leagues and and the name of the game then Vern was for lack of a better way to put it making excuses and when they would get hit hard they would say well I thought I made some good pitches and you know one pitch here or there and it could have been a completely different outing and it was almost like there was this lack of accountability or just being realistic with how they were performing. And I don't know if there was the power of positive thinking or whatever, but this, this group in particular just really seems to be grounded in what they did well and not get getting too carried away with, you know, what didn't go well and making adjustments. Chris Bubich embraced a third pitch. Carlos Hernandez embraced a third and a fourth pitch, if you will. Daniel Lynch going back to the minor leagues and coming back and adjusting like he did, which is I think what every every organization wants is for a prospect to earn a trip to the major leagues. And then if there's something they're being stubborn about that the organization knows they have to get through, they have to get their teeth knocked in and then and then go through the humiliation of being sent back down to the minor leagues. And then when they come back up, that's that's when you really learn about a guy, if they can adjust and adapt, and, and, and Daniel Lynch was, was able to do that. Jackson Coar certainly still has some things that he needs to figure out. So I don't know if you're asking player by player, but it just really feels like to me that these guys just didn't get experience this past year, but they gained yes. noticeable maturity. And so... This is the year. 2022 is the year. I think we really we don't make a final analysis on these guys, but we're going to get a much better idea of how dependable and how consistent they're going to be. Because now they've got a lot of data to work with, a lot of experience to work with, and now they, um, you know, they run out there in 2022, and we see what happens. Nope. The league also has a lot of information on them as well. And the talent that they all showed is why I think it's going to be difficult. For Dayton and J.J. this offseason to lure any sort of free agent that's going to excite the fan base because, look, we already have Mike Miner under contract for next season. I, I, I have to imagine it's going to be difficult to attract a free agent starting pitcher when it's very obvious that we're hoping all of these young arms pass you by. Now, depending on how much you pay them, of course, they'll, they'll come to Kansas City, but pitching staff, defensively, offensively uh, really does appear as if the the starting nine and the rotation is is going to remain the same when I look towards free agency Ryan bullpen of course a, a bench player here or there but I'm not really expecting much from the front office as far as outside acquisitions I'm interested where you come out on that I agree with you you know I did read what Alec Lewis and Andy Rogers had written about conversations with Dayton and with J.J., and a veteran starting pitcher came up. And you mentioned Mike Miner, who I thought was a, a perfect fit. I don't think Mike Miner was expected to be you know, the ace of the staff or, or the number two or whatever. What I liked about Mike Miner is we had a pretty good idea of what he was going to give you every five days. I, I loved listening to him philosophically break down his start whether it was good or bad. And I, I thought I could hear his voice in the other pitchers' comments after their games. I think he really rubbed off on them as far as how to look at a good start and how to look at a bad start and how to move on to the next one. Only because, only because I lived through, as you did, 2014 and 2015, 
the most impactful, well, they made two impactful trades, one with the Brewers, one with the Rays. But the, the, the most noticeable thing that I, that I think that really turned this team around is when James Shields came over from the Rays. And, and the, Royals, the Royals had an alpha dog in the starting rotation. And James Shields had been on a team that was terrible, that made it to the World Series, and became somewhat of a model franchise in a, in a small market in Tampa Bay. And he brought that attitude and that swagger to the Royals. And, and it really, I think, had a lot to do with going out and expecting to win in 2013 and 2014. So when I think about another starting pitcher, is it a number one type of a guy? I don't know. Um, they certainly have you know, an alpha male on offense you know, with Salvi and, and, and Witt is not afraid to get in there and, and use his experience and his voice. But I just, I keep thinking about an alpha male in that starting rotation, you know, kind of following these guys, you know, with a whip and just making sure that he, that he keeps them going and, and that they have an edge to go out there and not just think they can win, but expect to win. Ryan, I appreciate the time tonight. Um, enjoy the off season because you know, baseball is going to be, well, hopefully, Baseball's back, but I guess you you don't know it with the uncertainty of the CBA. So uh, do whatever you want, I guess. <laughs> I'll just come hang out with you. <laughs> Why not? We got time to kill. All right, Vern, good to talk to you. That's Ryan Lefevre. How about Corey Kluber? One year, 10, 11, I don't know. That's a lot of money. Uh, Corey Kluber, I mean, you're talking about an alpha male, a guy that was once a Cy Young Award winner, once served as that number one. It's a name you can put out there. Dayton Moore coming up in 20 minutes, but coming up next, the two-time All-Star, the two-time Hit King, a guy that I thought I was going to be introducing as a first-time Gold Glove Award winner, but alas, uh, he did not win. We'll talk with Whit Merrifield after this. You're listening to Vern's Royals Bonanza. Slider is lifted to shallow center and back to make a great catch. On your home for Royals baseball, 610 Sports Radio. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.